last lesson I gave in youth group, which was almost three weeks ago, we talked about communion. Before that, we talked about baptism. Before that, we talked about some other things. We were kind of doing a kind of a God's will type thing and learning about these things. And I realized it's been a really long time since I actually taught from the pulpit about communion. And not too long ago, we did a sermon about baby dedication. Not too long before that, we did one on baptism. And I thought, you know, it's time. So communion Sunday, we're already in a break because we had a guest speaker last week. Uh, we'll be back to Acts next week, but we're going to do a sermon about communion. And I actually put the scripture in your notes because I want to highlight things from the scripture. So if you want to look in your Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 31. It's in your notes, broken up into two sections, one in the front half, one in the back half. But I, I want to read the first half. And as we read it, look at the highlighted words. That's what we're going to talk about. And the goal is by the end of the sermon to know why we do communion, know what we're supposed to do when we do communion, and have a better understanding, then we'll take communion together. So let's read, uh, we'll start with 23 through 26, it's in your notes. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, now this passage effectively transferred this ceremony from something that was said to the apostles to something that said to all of us. Every believer in Christ, this is, this is an instruction that we're given, something we're supposed to follow. We've been doing it for a couple thousand years, and sometimes it can become a little mundane, a little routine, like, oh, it's Communion Sunday, and I don't think about it. That's why we do it a little different every time. We try to uh, use a video, use different prayers. We try to mix up the Sundays we do communion so it's not the same. So we don't fall into that trap of thinking it's just the same old thing we always do. Because with the ceremony, there's meaning. And we try to bring that out. And, and so we're going to look at this passage, this passage that outlines communion for us, and just talk about what it says. So every one of those bold-faced sections in the scripture is represented by a number on the bottom of your notes. So, number one, received from the Lord. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Now, I didn't highlight the phrase also passed on to you, but that tells us that Paul has already taught this to them. He says, I've already taught this to you. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. So he's saying, this is a review. I've already taught this to you. This is a review. It's also a review for us, so it works out great. But it says, I receive from the Lord. Now, Paul was not an apostle that sat at Jesus' feet as they traveled around for three to four years, uh, learning, growing, being taught, being transformed. He was not that kind of an apostle. He was called to his apostleship on the, the road where the bright light shone and said, why are you persecuting me? And he responded, who are you? And the response back was, I am the Lord. 
And, and that was the time when he realized that Judaism was not the answer, that Jesus was the Messiah, and that brought him to Christianity. That was the moment of his salvation. And he said, I received from the Lord. So I'm a different kind of apostle. And what he's saying here is, hey, don't think I don't know what I'm talking about. I do know what I'm talking about. I'm an apostle. He didn't say that here. He says it in other places. But he says, I received this from the Lord. And, and that word Lord means Jesus. It doesn't mean generic God. It means Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, so I received this from the Lord. So in your notes, Paul wants us to know this is his authority. His authority and source are both Jesus Christ. So his authority to teach this is from Jesus Christ. And the source of his information is from Jesus Christ. And he says, I received this from the Lord. Now, there's a mystery. How did Paul, who didn't even become a believer until after Jesus had died and gone and, and, and ascended into heaven, how did Paul receive this from Jesus Christ? Well, this is a mystery whose answer is not given to us. We can speculate. There's, there's a few speculations that kind of make sense. Uh, one of the speculations is that in the three years he spent in Arabia, that, that Jesus came and had some teaching time with him, which makes a lot of sense because the doctrine that Paul produces is, is highly developed. It's, it's, it's very succinct. It's, 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 it's high-level thinking. And, and so that makes sense that he had some special time with Christ. Another explanation is that Jesus just gave him this knowledge as a gift. Because he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and he needed this to be successful. Well, we don't know. We don't know how or when Paul was taught, but he clearly says, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. And then he goes on, and he quotes things that we also read about in Luke. That's why in your notes it gives you a reference in Luke. We can read the original story from Luke's account, and then we can compare it here, and it's it's word for word in places, and it's exactly the same through and through. In Galatians 1, 11 through 12, just a little side reference, uh, Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, wrote this. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Revelation is truth revealed. He says, I received the truth of the gospel. What I'm teaching you, I received from Jesus Christ. What he's literally saying is, I didn't get it from Peter. I didn't get it from John. I didn't get it from James. I didn't even get it from the church in Jerusalem. And you think back, immediately after his conversion, he began to preach Jesus as the Messiah right there in the town he was converted. He says, I didn't get that gospel from anybody. No one taught it to me. I received it from Jesus Christ himself. So two occasions where Paul says, hey, I'm teaching you what I got from the, the Jesus Christ himself, implying that even from the lips of Jesus Christ, like I was taught this directly. And, and this kind of language or illusion comes up a couple more times. But somehow Paul had an occasion or multiple occasions where he was taught by Christ things that he couldn't know otherwise. And it comes out in his teaching. So in this first line, Paul says, By the authority of Jesus Christ and from the lips of Jesus Christ, this is what happened. This is what was said. So that's the claim to authority. So 
We take this as authentic. It's authoritative. It's also inspired by the Holy Spirit because it's in the Word of God. So the first phrase is received from the Lord. The second phrase, number two, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Now he took the bread, probably unleavened bread from the table, and he broke it and he started passing it out. There's, you know, indication that he gave everyone a piece. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Now, a lot of conversation took place before and after this statement, but this is the statement that matters. This is my body, which is for you. A, in your notes, it's broken because Jesus' body was to be broken. Broken in a different way. You break bread into pieces. Jesus' body was not broken into pieces, but it was torn apart. If you remember the... uh, the whipping that he received, the scourging, you remember the beating that he received, the scourging would have ripped his flesh. They also said that they pulled chunks of his beard out, which would have left flesh. Um, that picture may be a little gruesome to you, but these are the things that we need to be aware of, and actually more. So in, your, in the blanks there, after the word broken, he was torn apart and killed. Killed is as broken as you can be. Torn apart indicates the manner in which it took place. Jesus was literally saying to them, I, I, I'm going to be broken. My, he had already told them he was going to die, and they, they didn't get that. This is more than just dying. He's going to be tortured, if you will. Tortured and killed. That's why it says broken. This is my body, which is for you. Broken for you. He broke it. The phrase, for you is said because his purpose was to rescue them. His purpose was to rescue them. His purpose in dying on the cross was to rescue them and us from the penalty of sin, which is spiritual death, or hell, if you understand that. So he was saying, I'm going to die. He had mentioned this before. I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise again. Now he's getting really close, and he's saying to them, hey, Uh, My body's like this bread. It's going to be broken. And it's going to be broken for you. They didn't understand that. They didn't comprehend it. But he said it's for you. And now Paul's telling it's for us. So we're all included in that phrase for you. For our rescue. For our salvation. For our forgiveness of sin. So when we take communion, and, and I say the bread represents Christ's body, which was broken for you and I, or broken for us, or broken for you, we need to understand that it was really broken. Torture was involved. Suffering was involved. And he went through the torture and the suffering because of me, and because of you, and because of them. So that through his suffering, through the completion of the required sacrifice, our sins could be forgiven. So we're already thinking in terms of forgiveness and salvation made possible by this. The next phrase, number three, is do this in remembrance of me. The indication here is that that this ceremony should be used as a trigger to remember the events that took place both before, during, and after Jesus' crucifixion. It should trigger our thoughts. When we hear communion, something in our mind should say, oh, crucifixion, scourging, crown of thorns, nails in the hand, Nails in the feet. Death on a cross. Humiliation. Penalty for sin being paid. 
And then after, we think of the resurrection. The body died, but it rose again. And it rose again. Remember this. Jesus walked out of the grave whole. He didn't walk out wounded. He had scars, but he wasn't wounded. He wasn't weak. He didn't stumble. He walked out strong and healthy. He, he walked out new. And that's how we'll be resurrected one day. He says, do this and remember to me. There's an implication that, that we should be doing this somewhat often. And that when we do it, we're supposed to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. It should trigger those kinds of thoughts. Number four, he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And, and he did similarly with the, the wine of the day. Everybody got a drink and he said, hey, this blood, this is, or this wine, this is my blood. This cup is a new covenant of my blood. New because the old promise was being fulfilled. The old promise was that one day the Messiah would come and that Messiah would provide forgiveness for, for your sins. That one day you will experience the salvation that you've been promised. That was the old covenant. The new covenant is now that we look back. The, the Messiah has been identified. He died on the cross. The sacrifice was made. The, the penalty has been paid for sin. Now we look back at Jesus as the provider of our salvation. So it's new because the old promise was being fulfilled. The new promise was being issued. Why blood? Because the shedding of blood was the means by which both the old and new promise grant eternal life. Both required the blood of the sacrifice. Both required the blood of the Messiah. So it's the new covenant in my blood. Now I can't explain why blood is the is is, is the, the the necessary currency. I don't I don't understand that, and I don't think we're supposed to understand that, except that that's what God instituted. God required a payment, and He provided the means to pay it. Number five, it says whenever, whenever you do this, that we take that to mean often and regularly. It's not like, oh, it's communion, I should think about this. No, we plan communion. Often and regularly, we want to remember all these things. Why? Because we forget way too easily. We forget things that are important. Number six, proclaim the Lord's death. We're to proclaim the Lord's death. That means we announce and celebrate. So when, when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, we don't hang our head and, and with sadness say Jesus died on the cross. We recognize that he was born in Bethlehem so that he could die on the cross. We recognize that he always intended to die on the cross because he was the Messiah. He was the means of salvation and he had to die to complete his purpose so that our sins could be forgiven. So it's not something we hang our head to. It's something we proclaim and we celebrate. Hey, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so we could be forgiven, so we can have eternal life and have a relationship with God. We proclaim this. We're never sad because of it. We announce and we celebrate the Lord's death. And then number seven, we have the, the end. We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. When is He coming? He's coming back for the rapture. He's coming back to defeat Satan and his armies and, and then begin the thousand-year reign. It's, it's the end. We are to celebrate communion until we are no longer present to celebrate communion. 
we are raptured away, the thousand-year reign of Christ comes in, we won't be in this state of being. We are to do this until he returns. So it's kind of a never-ending deal for us. So I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Now he's speaking directly to the people in Corinth. He's speaking directly to the people in Corinth who had earlier um, really messed up this whole ceremony. In, in chapter 11, verse 21, which is not in your notes, it says, So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. So they, they made this ceremony into a party or a festival. And those who had a lot partook a lot, and those who had a little watched. And then at some point, they did communion. And Paul's Paul saying, no, that's, that's not how we do it. Verse 22, he says, don't you have own homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not. The, the, the members of the body were not being treated as family members. They were not, they were not being honored as, as image bearers of God. They were being left behind, set to the side, things like this. And Paul says, no, that's not how this works. That's not how this ceremony is supposed to be. So let's work through some of these. This is the backside of your notes in case you missed that. What is an unworthy manner? Well, I grew up hearing that an unworthy manner meant that if you weren't saved and you took communion, there was, a, there was a chance that you'd be judged for that. If an unsaved person participated in communion, they'd be judged for that. And they could get sick and they could die. You've probably heard that too. That's the only reason I even mentioned that is because you've probably heard that. That is not taught in this passage. Okay, that's not taught in this passage. This passage is written to the believers worshiping in the church in Corinth. So he's saying to the believers that you can take communion in an unworthy manner. So the only way that this would apply to the unsaved is if there was an unsaved person pretending to be saved. Like someone sitting in the seat going, I know I'm not saved, but if I take communion, everyone will think I'm saved. And I want everyone to think I'm saved for whatever reason I have. Therefore, I'll take communion. That would probably fall into this category. But the person participating out of ignorance or, or not understanding, that's not who we're talking about. That, that person needs to be saved. 
and, and the gospel needs to be shared with them. But what is the unworthy manner? Uh, two thoughts. A, an unworthy manner of, of participating would be flippantly participating, irreverently participating, casually participating. Those are the kind of things I mentioned. Their, their irreverence, their casualness, their flippancy was making a big meal out of it. Uh, making a party out of it, making it all about their food and their drink and not about communion. They didn't take it seriously. They also uh, participated arrogantly. I'm obviously better than you because I have all the food and drink and you don't. Things like this were going on. What would that look like today? Well, we don't, we don't do things quite like that. We've, we've probably learned those lessons, but when we, we don't take it seriously, when our thought is, I wish you'd hurry up and serve the communion because I've got places to go. That would be irreverence. That would be a flippant attitude. The, oh great, I hate these wafers. They taste terrible. Worst juice ever. Why can't we get better juice for communion? That, that would be that attitude. That would be that wrong attitude. Because what you're thinking about is what the bread is like and what the juice is like and how long it's taking and this sort of thing, rather than, wow, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. His blood was shed. His body was broken. And he raised from the dead, proving he was God. So everything he did was truly the sacrifice for my sins. And I'm saved today because of that. And I need to be thankful and worshipful. That would be the correct attitude to have. So an unworthy manner might, might include your attitude... It would also include B, when, when you're living in opposition to the things Jesus died for and taught. So if you're not about unity within the body, if, if, if you're causing trouble or causing division, then you're probably taking communion in an unworthy manner because Jesus died for unity among believers. That's one of the things he created in salvation. He also taught holiness. He provided a way for us to live more righteous lives than we did before. So if I'm intentionally living a life of sin, I have a sin that I'm not willing to confess or repent from, then sitting in the pew taking communion, saying, Jesus Christ died for me for the forgiveness of my sins, but I have a couple I'm clinging to that I'm not willing to give him, that would be taking it in an unworthy manner. That could be a lifestyle decision, or it could be a momentary kind of thing. There, there has been an occasion where I sat where you sit and communion was served, and I had anger in my heart because of something that had happened. Ironically, on a sports field. And I was all bent out of shape because of what happened on a sports field, and I had literal bitterness in my heart towards somebody sitting in another pew in the church. And when communion was served... <laughs> God said to me, don't bother because you're not worthy. And I, I had to let it go by, regardless of who saw or didn't see. And I, then I had to let that go. It was, it was unwarranted. And I had, to, I had to let it go. I had to ask God to forgive me. So sometimes the best thing is to let it go. That takes us to number two. We're supposed to examine ourselves. So A, use communion as a time to do a self-check. Am I honoring God? Am, am I 
living the best I can? Am I working on my sin? No one's sinless, but are you working on it? Do you regret it? Are you trying to overcome it? If you are, then you are in a position to honor God by participating because he died for you to have victory over sin, and sometimes it takes a little while. But if you don't care about your sin, that's a different issue. And so if you find yourself, if you do the self-check and you go, ah, you know, my heart's not quite right, and, and you don't have time to deal with that, you can't just let that go, you can't be forgiven, you can't ask for forgiveness in the moment, then B, let it pass by quietly. Let it pass by quietly and repent of your sin. It'll come around again in a month or so. There, there is no salvation connected to your communion. Okay, it's a response to your salvation. So let it go. Get your heart right so that the next time it comes around, you can, with a clear conscience, participate in communion. The third phrase from this passage, it says, Many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. It gets kind of hairy when you hear that. I don't know how many people were weak among them. I don't know how many people were sick among them. I don't know how many people had recently died among them. But I'm sure the question was asked, I wonder if... Paul says, hey, there's people that are sick and there's people that have died because you're doing this wrong. I would be immediately reviewing the right way to do this because I don't want to be sick and I don't want to die. And what this tells us is that God takes this seriously. That's B in your notes. Communion should be taken seriously and used to honor God and God alone. If it honors me, it's done wrong. If it honors my neighbor, it's done wrong. It's to honor God and God alone. So I do the self-check. If I'm not in the right place, I let it pass by, and then I correct that situation. When it comes around again, I take it seriously, and I honor God in the process. If I'm doing that, then I have no fear of the warning that some are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep, which means dead. Okay? I can avoid that issue by handling it correctly. But if there are those who persistently participate in communion in an unworthy manner, then I don't see a time limit on this. This was given to the Corinthians, but it establishes a principle that, that God is, this is on the table for him to deal with people like that. So be aware. Now I'm going to show you a video. And, and this is the video that would have been shown probably earlier if we were doing communion in, in the usual way and it, it's called my last day it's from the perspective of the thief on the cross that believed in christ it's from that perspective and i want you to see a few things in there so just go ahead and, and watch this video
appreciate the ending because the rest of it was unpleasant at best very unpleasant I want you to understand from that video three things in your notes number one Jesus paid a very very high price for my sin he paid a physical price which was illustrated but you should be aware that what you saw was I mean it was an animated cartoon it was probably maximum 5% illustration of what Jesus went through physically emotionally his friends had abandoned him he was accused falsely his mother watched emotionally he paid a high price socially he was abandoned as I said he was laughed at he was lied about he was taunted and spiritually he had to endure the wrath of God for the sin the payment of the sin so a very high price was paid that helps us remember that number two we cannot allow communion to become common mundane or routine we absolutely cannot and, and whose responsibility is it to make sure it doesn't become that it's yours and it's mine it's the individual's responsibility to remember these things to not forget we, we, we cannot allow it to become these things because number three we must remember the events and the cost and the work accomplished on the cross that's one other reason why I like the end of this video the work that was accomplished was even the thief on the cross dying correctly for his sins was forgiven and met Jesus in paradise those of us who are forgiven will meet Jesus in paradise we can't forget the events of the cross because it was required we can't forget the cost of the cross because it was the cost of our sin and we can't forget the work that was accomplished because it gives us our hope for eternity so here's a big idea for today we celebrate communion to remind ourselves of what Jesus did what was accomplished what Jesus is presently doing preparing a place for us and what is still to come the rapture, the, the resurrection of the saints, things like this. So when we participate in communion at church, which we're about to do, here's five things that we do. Number one, we proclaim our faith. We proclaim our faith simply by taking the bread and drinking the cup. We proclaim our faith in the gospel message. My eternal destiny is weighed on the cross. My sins were forgiven. My hope is in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. I proclaim this by taking the bread and the drink. It's a proclamation to anyone who's listening. It's a proclamation to my own soul and to my Lord and Savior. Number two, we remember how much he suffered because of our sin. More particularly, I remember how much he suffered because of my sin. That should drive me to sin less because my future sin is being, is, it was paid for. Number three, we remember that Jesus is coming back to the earth again in the future. It's not over. The story isn't over. We have eternity to look forward to. We have a resurrection after our own death. We have the resurrection of loved ones who have gone on before us that will take place because he is coming back. Just like he promised he'd come and he came, he promised he's coming again and he will. Number four, we proclaim that Jesus' death is the most significant event in human history commemorated for over 2,000 years. And number five, we participate in an ordained act of worship. 
Jesus Christ said, do this in remembrance of me, an ordained act of worship. So we're going to end our service today with that ordained act of worship. If you're serving, would you please come forward? say much and there'll be no more videos gentlemen go ahead and serve and just be thinking about the things we've talked about Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said to them this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's partake together in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the juice together. So Father God, thank you for providing your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly coming to this earth and willingly dying on the cross. Not because of, of Roman thought or Jewish thought, but because of your free thought that sin needed forgiven. Thank you for doing that. We honor you today. We worship you. We proclaim, <clears throat> proclaim that we belong to you and that our eternity is in your hands. Thank you for that security. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.